Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance festies everywhere. I am Amina Tussaud. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, it is our five-year anniversary, and we are talking about the ways that doing this podcast has affected our friendship. And we're also taking a little stroll through our archive and playing a little taste of what we were airing in real time for each of the five years that we've been around. And before we do all of that, if you live in the United States like us, you are probably fuming mad about what's happening in Alabama and in Georgia and in a lot of other state legislatures around abortion access. It is really maddening and we are trying not to be discouraged by this. If you remember, we did an episode called Abortion is Our Right in March. We'll link to it in the show notes. You know, that was really expanding on the fact that abortion rights are under attack. And that was true. It was true in March. It was true Last year, it was true 50 years ago, and it's true right now. The opponents just like always come out of the woodwork, and it really feels like a, a particularly like vindictive assault right now. And so in that episode, we talk about reproductive justice, and we talk with activists Renee Bracey Sherman and Judith Arcana about what to do in times like these. And so if you're feeling a little defeated by the news and you need like some safe inspiration, that episode is a good place to start. And also friend of the podcast, Steph Harold on Twitter has um, shared a state by state resource that um, you can look at to see what you can do about showing up in your state. And so we are going to share her Twitter thread as well. And her Twitter handle is Steph S-T-E-P-H Harold H-E-R-O-L-D and you should follow her in general. Happy anniversary. Oh my God. Happy friend anniversary and CYG anniversary. They like are very, very close together for us. True. This week we have been friends for 10 years, one decade. And I know it sounds, it makes me sound like old in a way that I'm like not resolved about yet. But also CYG is five years old this year. That is the, that is truly the thing I can't believe. Forget the the other thing. This is, I can't believe we've been doing this podcast for five years and that's half of our friendship. Uh, should we, should we just take a moment to listen to Shania Twain's You're Still the One and mentally slow dance with each other? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm holding you, I'm holding you from far away. One thing we wanted to talk about today is a question we get all the time, which is kind of a weird question for us, but do you know the one I'm thinking of? The how is your how is doing a podcast change your friendship question? Right. Probably not in the ways that people think it has, you know, and also like all of our friendships are always changing. And and it's increasingly hard to answer because like we just said, it's our 10-year friend anniversary, but it's our 5-year podcast anniversary. And so now the before and the after are the same amount of time. That's enough time for things to shift in terms of social media and digital platforms where as spaces where friendship is enacted and performed, like mm-hmm. like and 10 years is definitely a lot of time for that. Maybe you can explain what what we mean when we say like performed friendship. 
Because this is like a thing we talk about ourselves, but I'm not sure is a known turn of phrase. Right. I mean, I think that what we talk about when we talk about friendship performance, right, is what are the rituals, the things that you do to signal both to yourself and to the world that you are friends? And I think that like our philosophy on this is that everybody is performing friendship at every time, right? It's not some nebulous the mean girl posting the photo of two out of three friends to make the third friend feel like they're not around. Although that qualifies, it's just not only that. That that like 100% qualifies. But I do think there are things that you do that you believe are private, but they're actually like very public and everything is up for interpretation. Yeah, so I think that like performing friendship can look like anything from how you choose to tag or comment with or interact with or post photos of your friend online. It can look like how you are replying to that friend in the group text where other friends are present. It can look like what you say about your friendship when you're asked about it by a third party. They're all just glimpses that you're allowing the wider world to have into this unique thing that only the two of you who are in it fully, fully understand. Right, and we have a very extreme version of this because one... (laughs) So extreme. (laughs) Which I love, you know, like, but also, you know, interacting with us on this podcast is not a real representation of, you know, the totality of our friendship. If you had asked me to, like, list maybe the ways it would be weird to be in a public friendship, I wouldn't have identified the fact that, like, it feels super strange to have strangers recognize that you are a close friend of mine, but not recognize other friendships that are also extremely important to me. You know, I have this level of insecurity that like, oh, does my oldest forever BFF Bridget, who I just had my 25 year friend anniversary with, I've never asked her, like, how do you feel about people not knowing that you're important to me in the way people know Amina is important to me? And I, I don't know that she cares because she knows she's important to me. But, like, it's weird that there's this lopsided public idea of each of our friend ecosystems, I guess. I mean, I think that even that kind of question or that, like, I don't know, that frame is very grounded in friendship performance because a thing that I am constantly trying to interrogate with myself is, why is it important that people know who is close to me? People who are outside of the friendship, not people who are inside the friendship, Mm -hmm. but just like of who are the people in your life and how do people know you that way? That's an interesting like frame to me as well. Like, why does it actually matter? I, I will admit that like, I like it when people I care about know who else matters to me or like, I like, you know, if someone is a close friend to me, I usually am like obsessed with them. And I think that they are not usually I am obsessed with them. And I think that they are like the coolest, best, most interesting, like, like, you know, politically relevant, like you fill in the blank compliment person that I know. And so like, of course, I want to be associated with them. Don't you think that that's true among your closest friends, like your closest friends know who your closest friends are? Yeah, but I guess like what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you say that like that framework is is rooted in performing friendship at all, like I'm like, yes, totally. Like I think that I I guess what I'm trying to cop to is that I I revel in that aspect of it. You know what I mean? Like there's like a part of me that really likes it, even though I understand that that is not like I don't mistake that for the substance of the friendship itself. Can you speak to, you know, like how, (laughs) I love that I'm interviewing you now, um, how it feels different doing the show now. Five years ago, I will say that I was way more, probably like my chief anxiety was how I was doing as a host. And, you know, over the years, 
Hopefully it comes across that I've gotten better at that. If anything, it feels slightly easier than it did. Um, does it feel different like doing the show now between the two of us? Well, yeah. I mean, now it's just, and this goes back to that question about has the show changed your friendship? Like now it's just like, it's baked in. It's like adjacent to, it is part of what it means to be in each other's lives that we do this show together, which is so weird to say that out loud. Like, I don't think that if we stopped doing the show, our friendship would disappear. I don't mean it's like central. I don't think it's the linchpin, but I do think that, yeah, now it's just in there forever. It's like, yeah, we might take a trip together some summer or we might not, or we might do some other thing together or not. But like the podcast is just like, it's always there. True. I agree with that. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I agree with like most of that. I think probably the thing that I feel like has changed has changed is that like I think and it probably is because we're so much more confident. It's not a place where I feel, you know, the earlier challenges of just like trying to figure shit out also meant that even though like I always had like full confidence that we would figure it out, there's just like no fear of like, ugh, like I'm going to fuck up something so bad on this show that Anne's ever going to want to be my friend or want to talk to me or... You were worried about you know, that whatever. before? <laughs> I mean, like in a very tiny kind of way, you know, like not in a... like. Aww. Yeah, I don't know, like not in some dramatic kind of way, but in a way where I was like, okay, there are fewer things that I can break now that I could break then. (laughs) I think that like for me, that just that just has meant like, okay, this is just this is just a thing that we do. But I also think that, you know, in a lot of ways, this feels um, it's still super fun and it's we're having a blast. But in some ways, like this space feels a lot like work now. There are a ton of people behind the scenes who make it, including you and me. There are, there is like a higher level of responsibility also, right? And so I think that in that way, that like the place that it occupies in my brain has shifted a little bit. I think I had, I had earlier phases of working on this podcast where I had a lot more questions about like, like the long-term impact of working on this show together and how that would feel for both of us in our friendship. Maybe I've just accepted it. Like, it's not that I don't have questions, but I I accept the questions and the reality. I think that what's really interesting about it in terms of a collaboration, for me at least, is that it never feels like, because I've had other collaborations that feel this way, where I was like, every three months, I have to have a self-check-in, you know, where I'm just like, (laughs) where am I? Where am I at with this? (laughs) And am I still happy? Like, you know, am I still learning? Am I still doing all these things? And I will say that the self-check-in on CYG is less, um, it is way less frequent than that. And so, and I think that that is truly, like for me at least, is just a testament of like, okay, we actually like enjoy making this thing together. And it's not a, oh my God, our relationship is all work now when it used to not be all work. You know what I mean? And so I think that all of that like plays a role for me into how I feel about it. It's really underscored my belief that like friendship is an extremely expansive pair of like stretchy pants where it's like, you can put a lot down there, you know, like you can really fit a lot into (laughs) the confines of a friendship and remove items and the friendship can retain its shape, right? Like this experience has taught me that more than anything. And, And that's a perspective I have because of the years in both our friendship and in the podcast. Do you want to take a little break and then take a little walk down our audio memory lane? Absolutely.
okay we're back and the year is 2014 <laughs> man that is such a long time ago uh miss you obama era <laughs> <laughs> do we <laughs> yes we do oh my god do you not <laughs> uh, listen listen i um i'm yearning for a different kind of era altogether okay so, fair enough fair enough my futurist icon uh that's where i go when the when the like political depression gets too real it's not backwards it's like very forwards to a moment that doesn't exist mm. but back to 2014 episode 15 our origin story specifically this is i like i don't think that i can listen to any of this without cringing and it's just, no way oh my gosh like what so this is our first take at the family legend uh which is really funny because it's very similar to how we tell it now and also lol how hard it is to make the show every other week remember yeah. that we used to make a show every other week and we were like whoa this is too much <laughs> yeah now we're out here every week bonus episodes upside down episodes inside out episodes this is wild <laughs> um here's here's one that i would like you to answer <laughs> how did you start the podcast maybe too soon to hit your origin story but i'm interested in learning your process for coming up with the show ideas the podcast to begin with um how did you get sponsors or at least get on itunes etc Oh my god. And how did the podcast start? I mean, I think you and I were like, ladies need to be doing podcasts, and then we realized we were ladies and should do a podcast. Is that how it came about? <laughs> I think I think I remember it a little differently. Really? That one Gina Delvac, producer of the show, was like, you ladies should do a podcast. Oh yeah! And we like, Shit! And we were like, what's a podcast? <laughs> I think we had said, oh, yeah, more ladies should do podcasts. And she was like, yes, cough, cough, I think that right. Gina approached us about this, like, one Desert Ladies. But, you know, as you know, many things happen at Desert Ladies that cloud one's, like, memory <laughs> and judgment. So, <laughs> I think, yeah, so I think that we'd had this idea for a long time and we didn't actually... We like take it seriously for a while because you know audio is hard and then gina was like you have to buy these microphones and we were like what like that sounds crazy that's not true we were excited um, about the gear <laughs> <laughs> speak for yourself <laughs> um yeah i think it took like a couple of months and then i specifically remember like driving around hollywood when we were like hey like are we serious about doing okay this? And i do remember this trying to come up with name ideas and uh, I was very excited when I said Call Your Girlfriend should be the name of the podcast and immediately checked to see that the URL was available. And duh, it was because people are idiots who sleep on everything. Yeah, I was actually driving and you were book or like buying the URL on your phone, I remember. <laughs> yes, we were going to a party at the Ace, maybe? LOL. Yes. I don't know. Some sort of shameful, like... LA stereotypical situation. <laughs> I am never ashamed of the time I spent at Ace Hotel establishment. I don't think it was, though, because the Ace wasn't open when when we started this. You're right. It wasn't. It's that one hotel where there's always some lady in pajamas in a glass box. The standard. And like, art. The standard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the standard in West Hollywood. We were on our way to Yeah, the there's always, like, some Hollywood. bored lady behind a glass, like, in a chemise. And they're like, look at this great art. And I'm like, uh, no. Yes, you're so right. You're so right. And then we did lots of like high fiving while pur purchasing or like locking down the Gmail and Twitter handles. And then we realized we had to do something with them. 
I know. So, so things that are surprising about podcasting, like one, it's hard. It's like actually <laughs> hard from like just like a setting up your gear and like getting your life together. But also coming up with topics every week is um, it's not like the easiest thing. I know. I think about that every time people are like, you should do one every single week. I'm like, we can barely get it together to do this every other week. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a decent place to close out the year. <laughs> are you interested in sponsoring Call Your Girlfriend? Great. Email us. Uh, call YRGF at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. We will be back in the new year. So see you on the new year. Oh my god, that was at the same time. I can't. Okay, so now it's 2015. And uh, speaking of like our friendship lore and family legends, here's an amazing story that we love to retell in our own friendship. Shout out to all the Thanksgiving warriors. Shout out to our Thanksgiving warriors. um, (laughs) Do you want to tell the backstory to that amazing catchphrase? Once upon a time, I believe in 2012, you and I took a road trip to Las Vegas from Los Angeles for Thanksgiving we thought it would be a great idea. The execution was insane because... Well, I think, yeah, when we planned to do it two days prior, it seemed like an awesome idea because of, like, very cheap, like, nice hotel rooms. Right? We got an insane baller room at Ivanka Trump's dad's hotel. Shout out Ivanka Trump. Uh, And, yeah, and then it was like, what can go wrong? We're going to drive there on Thanksgiving Day. Here's what can go wrong. You can drink and party too much the night before (laughs) and wake up, like, very just not feeling awesome. Shout out to Molly Lambert, whose party we went to the night before. It was just madness. Also, shout out to you for pouring me into a cab. I don't even remember the I know. party. I remember you dancing on a couch. That's like, there was like an incident with a couch. And then, uh, you know, I was like, let's go. So, it was a hangover issue. Yeah, no, it was a hangover issue that was, like, promptly solved by watching a lot of movies the next day. We had planned poorly in that there were no snacks at your house, which was, like, a rookie mistake. And then we get on the road very late, like, I want to say, like, around 4 or 5 o'clock, and assume that we can just, like, roll up to In-N-Out or something, and it's just, like, a regular Thursday. California privilege. You just think In-N-Out is always going to be there for you. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to say something controversial in that I don't like in and out but like we can talk about that on another show. I'm just saying it would have been really nice while hungover on that Thanksgiving to have some in and out Oh man, anything would have been nice. Long story short, every civilized human in America is like sitting at their house. And so there was no food between Los Angeles and, <laughs> and Las Vegas. We had to stop at like some weird Albertsons in Rancho Cucamonga. Shout out to the Albertsons. Shout out to like the hot buffet at that Albertsons, which I know. was still open. <laughs> which was open, but like weirdly empty. So my like one memory is eating like a disgusting potato salad with no utensils in that parking lot. We ate in the car like with our hands like animals. I know. It was it was really touch and go though. So like, but you know, like that moment like brought us back. But then on the rest of the road trip, we listened to this like really rockin' radio station and the DJ would like say every once in a while, shout out to my Thanksgiving warriors on the road. And that really carried us.
Which I have to say that, like, we did not have the kind of family, relatives, whatever, trying holiday that a lot of people have on Thanksgiving. But, like, it is true. Sometimes you got to be a holiday warrior. Yeah, no, we, you know, this was, like, all our faults. But then, exactly. But then it was really funny. We got to Vegas and realized that we are not Vegas people and that we went to bed really early. And the next day we were up too early, did all these activities. People in Vegas, like, don't start doing shit until 11 p.m., and we we're like, this is this is not on brand for us. I mean, it's so funny. Like Vegas always seems like a better idea than it really is. I That's know. how I feel about Vegas. I just remember Facebook checking in to you into uh, Toby Keith bar. <laughs> I, let me tell you, that has come back to haunt me so many times because I don't check in anywhere on Facebook. And so every once in a while, Facebook will be like, check out where your friend Anne has been. And the only place that comes up is Toby Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill in Las Vegas. <laughs> It's so rude. It's so it's so funny because it's the only place I ever checked into because I think they had just rolled out that feature and uh, and I thought it was hilarious. I know you were like, "Lol, I'm gonna check you in here," and I was like, "I hate you right now." Oh my god, it's that is ridiculous. But so anyway, shout out to all the Thanksgiving warriors who had to endure your crazy family yesterday. To all of you who went home with a significant other and then figured out that their family's crazy too, or just like had to argue about politics all day. And also shout out to like the far more pleasant Friendsgiving warriors, which like I don't think you even have to be a warrior at all for Friendsgiving. It's just so pleasant. Yeah, no, I only I only do Friendsgiving. Me too. It's hard policy. Oh, man. First recorded use of Ivanka Trump's dad, huh? Ivanka's dad. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> also, this Albertson's parking lot story is it's funny because I don't remember us ever telling it on the podcast. But of course we did. Of course we did. Of course we did. We've told all our good stories on this show. Mm. Okay. Next up is... <laughs> I also love what these episodes are called. The previous one was called Thanksgiving Warriors. This one is called Sexy Belly Button Feeling. <laughs> Which I'm just like, Gina, how are you naming these? What else? We received a letter that is very near and dear to me. <laughs> so I'm going to read it. Please do. Hey, ladies. Okay, so I get this weird sensation in my vagina anytime somebody touches my belly button. I've always (laughs) thought that all girls must feel this until I told my boyfriend about it. He thinks this is both hysterical and I'm completely alone on this issue. Tell me I'm not. Thanks so much, Lex Hade. Lex Hade is a wonderful artist and you should check out her, like, paintings. They're unreal. Uh, Lex. I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but your boyfriend has got to go. <laughs> he is not a doctor. Who is this body shaming boyfriend who's like, ah, uh, no, no. I don't think that he's body shaming as much as he's like not understanding. <laughs> like, when I saw this email in my inbox and I like legitimately screamed because I thought that for a moment, this woman and I were the only two people that felt this. And then after some like reassuring Googling, Yes, we are not alone. This is completely normal. I mean, when you told me about this, I googled sexy belly button feeling and received many <laughs> results. So clearly her boyfriend cannot even Google, is what I'm saying. I, well, listen, we're not all dating doctors. I understand this. <laughs> but like, yeah, don't bring a medical issue to him ever again. This is ludicrous. Um, but but yeah, wait, wait, wait. I was so this happens that, like, to most you. people didn't feel this. This happens to me. I mean, you know, not like a casual graze of the belly button, but like, you know. Like a finger in there. Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> so gross. <laughs> now that I think about it. But yeah, you um, know, 
I feel like, you know, it's it's one of those things where in the right moment, if you're like all the way in there, because the muscle systems are all like, you know, once you get below the belly button, I feel like it all connects to the clit in some way. In some way, you know, I mean, like this to me has nothing to do with sexy time. It's just that I'm like very diligent about belly button cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just various belly button activities. But it's the thing that I've noticed since I was like super young. I was I mean, like, this is this is a no go zone. Like <laughs> when you're in public, I think this is awesome. I'm kind of jealous that I don't have, I don't experience this outside the context of a sexy moment. Like I can't just stick my finger in my belly button right now and get a get a nice tickle. I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> get a nice tickle is right. Um, here, what does the internet say about this? Oh my god, uh, careful, careful with the search terms you use. Your belly button is one of your erogenous zones, so when you do that, you're basically kind of tickling it, which triggers a kind of weird feeling everywhere, in some cases, down there. Is this web- WebMD does not it. say down there? No, this is not WebMD. This is like TumblrMD. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um... But here's like the actual smart person. She's like, although most diagrams of the female sexual organs exclude this detail, there is tissue connecting the belly button and reproductive organs left over from our days spent in the uterus. And who knows? It sounds plausible to me. Because fetuses receive nutrients from from slash expel waste through the umbilical cord during their development, there's a tube that connects our bladder to our belly button, which doesn't completely disappear after birth. Yeah. And this is called the T-spot. What? The spot between the bladder wall and the vagina. Incredible. Wait, so does that mean, does that mean if it's only because of proximity to the vagina or does, are there some men who get this sensation too? I don't know. This is only talking about women. Amazing. Thank you, Lex. If you're a man who listens to this podcast who has a T-spot, holler at us. You careful well you we might get some serious email <laughs> i want i want to know i always assumed this was everybody i was like this is why people don't play with their belly buttons it's too sexy whoa i guess i just thought people didn't play with their belly buttons because most of them are innies <laughs> <laughs> like like if um, there's like a body part that hangs off people play with that all the time but like more inward facing oh, stuff oh interesting that's not a drawn out theory. And in fact, I wouldn't even have re- called it a theory until I just heard it come out of my mouth. So I don't <laughs> the even know. theory of belly buttons. And so. which dangling body parts we tend to play with. <laughs> uh, anyway, this <laughs> learned something new today. I'm Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, I think that's it for us. We, ha- we have a little bit of news. Oh my God. And yeah, the news is both sad, but ultimately happy, I feel. Which the is... band is breaking up. No, Just don't kidding. even joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what people are thinking. You're right. They are thinking about that. They're like, mommy and mommy are fighting. <laughs> yeah. But instead, no, the band is coming back bigger and better. So we, so to all of our listeners, we're going to be taking a little break for a couple of episodes, probably through this month and October and we have a ton of really cool stuff that we're working on that we can't really tell you about right now, but we will in due time. Including tech upgrades so we don't sound like we're talking to you from the bottom of two different wells. I know. Can't wait to never sit in my closet ever again right. for this podcast. I mean, I don't know if we can eliminate the closet completely, but, you know, we're going to try. I'm coming out of the closet for the podcast. Uh. Love it. 
the year is 2016. Uh, you know, th- many things happened in 2016, but I will say that I am very, very, very happy to revisit Karen Pence's, aka Mother, um, oh. her towel, her towel charm business. <laughs> what a scam! What an I Etsy scam! I can't believe I've forgotten about that. Man, again, simpler times. Can we talk about Karen Pence, though? Please. Um, our future second lady. <laughs> So Stop. Don't even listen. say that. I can't. <laughs> so this article is like about Mike Pence and Ivanka's dad and Ivanka's stepmom. But so anyway, it's like, even their wives are cut from different cloth. Mr. Pence's wife, Karen, a former elementary school teacher, sells distinctive towel charms <laughs> at, a com- at a company she created called That's My Towel Charm. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Trump's wife, Melania, a former model who has posed naked, markets a line of gold jewelry and timepieces branded with her name. So Melania is like selling like legit jewelry and uh, the New York Times like fails to recognize that like Karen Pence is selling wine charms. Yeah, they're $6.25 a piece and promise to help you keep your towel distinct from other beachgoers towels. Yeah. Also, do you think that like really she was like because they're religious, they can't sell wine charms. So she had to make it into a towel charm. I don't know. Actually, I, what do these look like? I'm like doing a. I'm going. Oh my god! I'm looking at them now, and I'm dying. There's a baseball glove one. <laughs> there's a clam towel one. There's a hot dog. Oh my god! I'm getting you the hot dog. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> most god. of us. Here's the thing. Most of Ooh, us have pizza. Oh yeah. Most of us have matching bath and beach towels, so it's easy to get them confused. Who is? <laughs> getting beach towel confused with somebody else. Also, who is us, Karen? Oh, and when you go to the website, the That's My Towel Charm website, towelcharm.com, it says, thanks for your interest in towel charms. The business is currently on hold, much like your husband's campaign soon will be. Oh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> and these, these quotes are killing me. I've had so many times where I was swimming at a friend's beach house, pool, or lake house <laughs> using their matching beautiful beach towels. Lo and behold, I would go in the water for a dip and up to the house for a beverage. And when I came back, my towel, it was gone. Someone else had grabbed my towel unknowingly because all the towels look the same. This is not a problem people have. Also, they're working so hard to be like, we're normal Americans. Like, we go to Chili's even in New York. And then you confess that you hang out at lake houses all the time? Like, get it together. These are contradictory. You know know how Midwestern people are. They all have that secret money. All of them. I mean. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm going to let that one go. Uh, all Karen wants is a towel of Karen's own. <laughs> so let Karen have it. We got to talk to some really amazing people in 2016, including Lucy McBath, who is now in Congress. But this was one of our very first reported episodes. And we talked to uh, listeners who are gun owners. And this was like a first of its kind Call Your Girlfriend episode. I am Lucy McBath. I'm the mother of Jordan Davis and faith and community outreach leader for Every Town for Gun Safety. Maybe you can start by talking about how you got involved in this issue. I got involved in gun violence prevention, which I absolutely had no clue about the gun culture, the gun epidemic, gun violence epidemic. I didn't really have that much of an idea about what was really going on in the country until uh, until Trayvon Martin was murdered and then... You know, Jordan was murdered very shortly thereafter, seven months after. 
And so I just, out of my angst and my anger, I wanted to know, you know, why the the faith community was not standing up and speaking out about morally and ethically what was happening in the country. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about the gun culture and the gun laws and how under our existing gun laws, people were dying in the streets disproportionately, you know, young males of color. And so how do you, I mean, obviously a lot of people who are going to listen to this have not had a personal experience with gun violence that is so devastating or have not, have not really had it affect someone in their family. How do you talk to people kind of like the folks you were describing who don't seem to think they have a personal stake in this issue? And how do you, how do you convince them that this is really all of our problem? Well, I, I basically say that, you know, if you think that you are immune to gun violence, then you're sadly mistaken because I, for one, thought that we were, would never be affected by it. We weren't living in a community that was ensconced by gun violence. You know, we never had guns around the house. You know, Jordan was afraid of guns. We, you know, Jordan was in an environment, very safe environment. And I thought I'd done all the right things. I thought that, you know, I had homeschooled him and, you know, laid, laid a really good grounding and faith for him. And, you know, we were, you know, believers and just doing so-called all the right things. And you think because you believe that you're doing all the right things that you are not likened to be uh, a subject of gun violence, but that is absolutely not true because our gun culture has become so expansive. Our gun laws have become so loose and ambiguous that people are using their guns any way that they want to. People are deciding for themselves to take matters into their own hands. They're shooting first, asking questions later. People are using their guns as a means to silence people don't look, think, or act like them. You know, people are acting out their implicit biases and racism through gun violence, and that if you think that you are immune to it, no one is. You know, gun violence has infiltrated the church. Gun violence has infiltrated the LGBTQ community. Gun violence has infiltrated every facet of society. Also, when we were planning this episode, we recognized that all of us are kind of on the same page about not being into guns. And so we, I, we like sent out a call for listeners to get in touch with us if they were gun owners to talk about why. And I think that this personal safety question, their answers to that were, were interesting. My name is Jessie Plavel. I live in a, quite a small town in northwestern Montana. My name is Sarah Palmzano. My name is Alexis Lambert. I live in Florida. My name is Jess Harrelson. Uh, I currently live in Brooklyn, New York, but I grew up in Sheridan, Wyoming. And yeah, I grew up around guns. Guns is just part of the culture of Wyoming. I personally have three guns, but between like my the guns that I grew up with, my dad and my brothers, oh gosh, probably like 60 or 70. My experience with guns is that um, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, never had any experience with them until I started dating my husband. I could never see myself using a gun to protect myself from an intruder or something. But having it there when I'm there alone late at night, 
you know, there's a little bit more security in that. Look at it from this way. I'm like a queer woman and imagine me living out, like say I moved back to Wyoming to like not a very populated area out on a ranch and I was living with my wife or my girlfriend. Maybe I would probably want to have some guns, like (laughs) just for protection. And like if someone comes into my home with the intent to do me harm, I know that I have the resources to protect myself. And my dog, because if you trifle with my dog, I'm going to unshackle you from your mortal coil. Way to really be into your pet. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm like, you. we are not aligned <laughs> on so ex- many issues. <laughs> on so many things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The, the pet-loving fan base is going to come after us so hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never gone back to listen to it, but the post-election episode that we did was probably very depressing like i'm de- i'm like getting depressed just thinking about about the election and also the the way that we felt about recording after that and so that was also that's that's a 2016 moment for sure yeah and like really feeling that um i don't know i mean it, it's funny because in retrospect i remember how hard it was to turn on a microphone and try to figure out something of use to say you know, I also appreciate the fact that we're in some ways just still in the mentality that we were in the first day after the election, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it was like the first step of like a sustained attitude shift, like, you know, for some of us and for others, like, uh, you know, more business as usual with more public recognition of what was going on. So you can fast forward if you don't want to relive that trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I am fast forwarding. Here's 2016. Boom. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. <sighs> Big sigh. Call your girlfriend. You know, also the other silver lining of all of this is just like hearing from all of the women in, you know, like in our lives who are just... Oh, so true. ...as dedicated and invested as we are in just being free and that was really awesome the women on my uh, what I like to call my personal board of directors <laughs> one of them emailed this morning she was like well you know like everything has got to shit but guess what we are still gonna get paid and it was like this exhortation about like knowing your value and knowing your worth and just like fighting as hell so that like all women get paid and I was like yeah because now I got ACLU bills coming in so <laughs> <laughs> now I've committed to a monthly donation yeah happened <laughs> like you know it's like all my little liberty and equality children gotta you know gotta feed everyone but i like i love that i love that like that was her thought this morning as she was like hi like um hello like women freelancers like how are we gonna get paid this week and i just like i love that i was like yes like our lady web is strong it's true and like every i don't know i think that like relying on your personal lady web and like that flood of text messages and the phone calls and that is also a nice silver lining like that reflection of the people who care about you and want to support you no matter what kind of despotic regime has just been elected (sighs) we're sad we're angry but like we're not gonna we're not gonna stop so that's the only good thing for me that's gonna come out of this that's the headline sad angry not gonna stop not gonna (laughs) stop you know it's just like if this means like a rededication to being braver and speaking out more and just going out on a limb and being there for your friends and your neighbors then hell yeah like i'm there yeah 
and doing stuff that aligns doing stuff that aligns with your beliefs but like probably makes you a little uncomfortable or like maybe feels like uh, is this too far like i think that this is like the moment for stuff like that okay 2017 i feel like this is the year that we kind of started to come into our own with a few bigger interviews I mean, obviously, we've been interviewing people since day one, but really starting to get some like higher stakes conversations. And I think both of us have gotten a lot better on this front. Like that's one nice thing about having a retrospective moment is like, okay, like here, here's where you can hear us start to be like pros in our own way. This is not about the book, but it's about a book. We read that you were really into the Ferrante books while you were taking some time off. So we were wondering... Who is your Leela? Probably my uh, oldest friend. We became best friends in sixth grade. Her name is Betsy. And she and I have been through all of the ups and downs of our lives together. And she's smart and loving and supportive uh, and never thought thrown my doll into a grate. I mean, she's really <laughs> terrific. So probably I have great friends. I'm blessed by really good girlfriends, but she's the one that goes the farthest back and is still so much a part of my life. You write really beautifully about the women in your life in this book, about your daughter, about your mother, mm-hmm. and a lot of friends. Is that something that um, was really front of mind for you when you were writing the book? Well, it was, Amina, for a couple of reasons. You know, I wanted the book to be both personal and political uh, Mm -hmm. because I know that for a lot of people, this election was traumatic and it needed to be a story about resilience, not just mine, but others, as well as what happened uh, with all of the forces that were uh, at work. My girlfriends were by my side through this whole campaign. They were... Uh, giving me good advice. They would be meeting up with me on the campaign trail. They'd be uh, just a constant presence. And after I lost, they rallied around. And they know me as the pushy friend. You know, I write in the book (laughs) how I'm always giving unsolicited advice about everything and my friend's eyes roll. But they became the pushy friends And they would call and say, I'm coming to see you whether you want to see me or not. (laughs) Or I'm taking you to the theater whether you want to go or not. I'm sending you books that I think you should read and you better. I mean, it was so great. And so my friends really provided so much support in the wake of what was a devastating and shocking defeat and still are. Yeah. We talked to Margaret Atwood about dystopia. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Well, hello to you. (laughs) 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 <laughs> All right. Is Do that it one? again. Okay. Okay. Perfect. You're not going to use that, you naughty girl. Mm. When I made fun of her. Yep. All right. Hello. <laughs> How many takes of hello could we do? <laughs> right. <laughs> Goodbye. <Yeah. laughs> is this is this? It's audio, not video. It's audio, audio no video. Audio, not audio, we have faces not video. For radio. Okay. Um, so what are you going to do with it? We're going to put it on our podcast. Podcast, mm-hmm. okay. All Which right. is Got called that. Call Your Girlfriend. <laughs> About what? <laughs> the, well, the premise is uh, a conversation between two long-distance friends. It's okay. me and my friend who lives in New York. Okay. So often the episodes are us catching up, mm-hmm. but 
this episode will also feature you. It's a okay. special episode about... So you're going to say, I'm talking to Margaret Atwood and your girlfriend in New York is going to say, oh my God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely that. Exactly that. She got to interview Hillary Clinton without me. So and the, the, the theme of this episode... But she's more famous. I mean, is she though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Hillary? Are you a Hillary fan? I think Hillary got really bombarded with... 17th century witch imagery during the election. Mm-hmm. I mean, the misogyny was extraordinary. Right. I mean, I'm not an American, so I don't get to vote in those elections, but of course we watch everything you do with great interest. And um, that was very, very strange. Were you surprised? It was strange to you? Was I surprised by the result? Or but no, Wasn't by the everyone? framing of her, that 17th uh, century witch. I was, I was surprised that it was so overt. Mm. Like, usually the misogyny is more concealed. <laughs> <laughs> this was right out splat in your face. Right. Uh, so everything got a lot more overt during that election than usually it is. I feel like that's a great intro to, I mean, a lot of your work has misogyny that's splat out in your face, as you, as you put it. Um, not quite, well, yeah, yeah, it does, sure, but not the real life stuff. Uh, so the realistic novels, the misogyny is more covert, mm-hmm. although often quite extreme, but not so public. That's true. I mean, I, I think the female characters in your books especially deal with the full range of terrible they, things. They deal women... with the full range of microaggression to macroaggression. Right. I'm Ellen Pau. I am the co-founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Project Include, and I'm also the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the KPOR Center and a venture partner at KPOR Capital. And now you're an author as well. I know. It's exciting. (laughs) When I was reading the book, and specifically um, one of the excerpts that was in, that ran in New York Magazine also, the thing, (laughs) I I remember just being so shocked at some of the examples that you gave where, you know, I I think that sometimes like when you're a woman at work, you're just like, oh, did that person do, is that thing because I'm a woman? And if you're a woman of color, you're definitely like, am I being paranoid? Like what's going on? But some of the examples that you gave were like classic textbook 1950s, you know, like if you had to if you had to draw what discrimination was or like sexual harassment at work, it was like you cannot get clearer than that. Why do you think that it's taken people, especially in technology, so long to realize that that goes on in our field? It's a really good question. I think it you know, I, I try to look back at myself. Like, I didn't really think about it until, you know, I had been in it for several years. And it's partly because you do want to believe it's a meritocracy. You do want to believe that everybody's being treated fairly. And you go through this system and you see these problems. And you think maybe it's just that one person. Maybe it's just this one day. And it's small. And it's not every single thing every single day because you're doing things outside with other people or you're you know, writing your own investment memo or you're meeting with entrepreneurs. It's not until you really lift your head up. And for most people, when you're struggling, you're, you got your head down and you're really trying to get through task by task. And it's not, you don't have the time or the energy to kind of pull up and put all the pieces together and connect all the dots to figure out, wow, this is really much bigger than I am. And this is really a huge problem because also you don't, you can't do anything about it, right? So that's a little bit 
demoralizing to pull up and see, wow, this is a huge problem. I'm never going to get promoted. None of the women in my team are going to get promoted. We're never going to hire a black person. We're never going to hire a Latinx person. That's completely demoralizing. So you, at least for me, I put some blinders on and I kind of hid from it until I couldn't. Yeah. And, you know, we also the, continued doing some like hyper-focused kind of reported episodes. I cannot believe that the pelvic power episode is from 2017. I don't know in my mind where it fits, but that both feels really a long time ago and so close. And I think this is also the year that we really, um, like our editorial really became uh, something that we all, you know, like we all started caring about, not just you. <laughs> And so I think of 2017 really as the year where we're like, okay, we figured out how to use these microphones. Like, how do we actually make a thing that makes sense every week? On to the long-awaited pelvic health episode. I'm so excited about this. How are you feeling? I, you know, my pelvis feels amazing. So I feel (laughs) great. (laughs) Maybe we should go back because I was just asking you about this. I, I almost forgot about the original inspiration that made us want to do this episode, which was each of us having some bad experiences with the gynecologist slash doctors who are looking at our pelvic region. Yeah. So a couple of months back, I think that we both got really vulnerable about um, bad like gyno experiences. Yours was like hyper specific and mine was very much like I cry every time. It's the worst. But also like my new feminist doctor was like, scoot your butt all the way to the end. And that was like revolutionary for me. (laughs) (laughs) Butt scooch revolution. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it sounds so like it almost like sounds really funny because the gyno is like one doctor that if you are a woman or somebody who identifies as a woman, you will go to at least once and there is nothing pleasant about it. And unfortunately for like health reasons, you'll probably go to it like a lot. And so, you know, a lot being like at least once a year, hot tip when you make your, your gynecologist, your primary care physician, it's very exciting. So yeah, so after we talked about these bad experiences, we got so many emails, both from people who had also had bad experiences with their gynecologists, but also from some people offering information and like resources. And so we've long been plotting an episode where we talk to actual experts, not just Google MDs like us, about what's up with pelvises (laughs) and pelvic health. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, first of all, we have so many like pelvic sheroes in the CYG community. It's kind like it's kind of baffling. I know you can't see me, but this is my not surprised face. But also I'm super proud because this is the best community. (laughs) It is the best community. But you know, and and also like it's it's really fascinating because I think this is what I've like learned from it, right? Is that for for a long time on this show, like I have complained in some form or fashion about like uh, pelvic exams and how much I hate them or about like my cramping in general, you know, like all of the like everything is unpleasant down there and it's not cool. And every time I would do that, at least like one or two people, one of the listeners would email and say like, hey, have you talked to your doctor about pelvic health? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it was it's like a real time reminder that like, oh, this is like what friends do. Like when you complain about pain in your body, they're like, you know, not trying to like diagnose you like, oh, Amina is crazy. But, you know, they're just like, oh, like this sounds like a thing that like we talk about all the time. And so it was such a like real time reminder for me that like 
this is one of the added benefits of friendship and also of like the fact that like women make themselves like emotionally vulnerable is that there is a world in which like somebody is listening to what your like situation is and might even have solutions for you. Totally. And also provides the reality check that like, hey, actually, maybe you don't just need to grit your teeth and put up with a really unpleasant medical experience. Like maybe there's a better way or maybe there are more resources for you. Like I have relied on friends so many times to remind me of that. So, yeah. Shout out to our extended friends totally. who, the, like, who all said that. Yeah. <laughs> the real lesson here, you're right, is, is that like if there if you are in pain about anything, like that is not a normal state of being. And there's like a different state of being that you can be in. Um right. and you know, so a couple of months ago when also like when we both talked about like the importance of like having like progressive holistics OBGYNs, there's Helen nurses in this family. And people emailed and one of the common refrains that I heard was like, if you want a doctor who is like progressive feminist and like probably into some like holistic stuff, you should like consider seeing a midwife. And I was Mm. like, what? I like thought midwives were for people who were imminently having children. Like if I was honest, I didn't know the difference between a midwife and a doula. I thought a doula was a hipster midwife. And so, you know, I was just like, oh, tomato, tomato. It's the same thing. But it turns out that actually, like, uh, midwifery is, like, really fucking badass. And you don't have to be pregnant to go see a midwife. And they're, like, very respectful of taking your entire, like, situation into hand um, when you go see them. Okay, on to last year, 2018. Um, oh my God, 2018. Oh, I feel like 2018 is the year we really like double down on our scam content. <laughs> Scammers, they're just like us. <laughs> oh my God. So the related story last week, which was about this guy from Colombia who convinced a bunch of rich people in Miami he was a Saudi royal. <laughs> Um, the details in that in that article, which is in the Washington Post, were also incredible. It includes the fact that the door buzzer on his apartment unit said Sultan. <laughs> and the fact that he had purchased diplomatic plates for his Ferrari from eBay. <laughs> and it's just right. Like another thing I didn't even know that you could do, right? Like it has never occurred to me to go to eBay and go like <laughs> diplomatic plates. Totally. So, so yeah, I mean, like, blah, 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 defrauding investors, it's fine. But also, like, some of his lies that, like, are leading up to the lie that he was a Saudi royal are pretty amazing, including him telling his classmates that his family owned a local resort or that he was, quote, the son of actor Dom DeLuise. <laughs> In this specific category, at least... Do you think that, like, a lot of these people, like, this is a category that a lot of us could fall into in the sense that, like, we've all had, like, a fantasy life, you know? Yes. And some of these people just, like, take it too far. It's like, I'm, like, happy to just fantasize. I'm not actually willing to do the work. Okay. Like, it just seems like a lot of work. But if you were going to create, like, a fake royal scam persona, where would you be from? What would your story be? (laughs) I don't know. I think that in order for this to be successful... You need to, like, look the part. Like, this, the Saudi guy, I, like, kind of commend him because I was like, you're, like, you're doing good. But I'm also, like, I would be afraid to, like, lie about being Saudi royalty. Like, that's too, I feel like it's too fraught. 
I would go some like very tiny obscure country or I like I don't know but also like my fantasy is not to be a like princess so this is not what it would this would not work for me okay but this this fake Saudi prince quote purchased the entire first class cabin so he could be alone on a flight like that is <laughs> like I am sorry but like if you if you had scam kind of money that is like 100% something you would do with your no, money no <laughs> and if I had scam money I would have a private plane <laughs> if somebody has like all of the money to purchase the first class in an airplane it's like why don't they have access to their own plane those are the alarm bells that should be going off for you in summary fake royals category tagline quote my money is all tied up in investments right now (laughs) (laughs) hallmarks of a fake royal include confusing backstory several aliases cash payments all the best parties and I would add like maybe some eBay license plates. <laughs> oh my god. And the natural habitat is the lobby of a five-star hotel. <laughs> also the year where Gina made her hosting debut with her bye 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 episode which honestly like a fan super favorite like when we ask people about episodes they love people mention this episode so many times like gina's perfect voice gina's perfect editorial sensibility i also love that episode so thanks for sticking with me on this journey into the many multiple experiences of bisexual people my next guest is writer katie disabato it's um it's always good to talk to a literary-minded, open friend about their life experience. And I think it is, it's so interesting, like, like money, when you talk about sex, you're really talking about emotions and yeah. values and our sense of selves and how we express ourselves and around whom and how much, right? That it feels like even though, you know, I thought like, oh, we're going to have this like kind of smutty conversation. Yeah. It's like, well, no, we're talking about feelings. <laughs> yeah, we're talking yeah. about personal stories and life experience because that's... That's how this stuff all gets wrapped up. Uh, One thing that's like, I think that the kids are doing um, that is kind of on the smut side, just to put a little excitement in it. Oh, yeah. Is I think that when we were coming up, there was like a real kind of condescension towards the idea of sexual experimentation, Mm. right? Like, I think women were considered either foolish for sexual experimenting or it was like for the male gaze to like experiment with women. Um, the I kissed a girl and I liked it version. Totally. Yeah. The, this, you know, kissing someone at a party, you know, having it be a public thing rather than something that's developing one-on-one between people. And I also think that like a lot of lesbians of our generation were pretty anti the idea of experimentation because like, you know, people can get hurt when you experiment. Like, two women who think that they maybe want to have sex with each other, and then one of them is like, you know, actually, like, I love our friendship, but I'm not sexually interested in women, and I discovered that by trying to have sex with you. I mean, that Huge ego blow. The moral of the story is, like, experimentation is, like, mean and bad, but, like, that's how you figure out who you want to fuck, and you you have to experiment. And I think kids these days are experimenting more, and um, then that gets wrapped up in the the way that we talk about sex in the country in general, mm. which is that like it should be normal and chill and cool for teenagers to be sexually experimenting with each other. Like it should be normal and chill and cool if a teenager doesn't want to, but if you want to, you should, and it should just 
feel open and we should try to create a culture where like we're just like if you are 16 and you feel like you want to fuck you should fuck and like as long as you're not exploiting anyone else in the process or compromising yourself right and understanding that you you may hurt people emotionally which is to- which is different than exploiting people you know like if you genuinely think that you might want to have sex with somebody and then you realize you don't and you hurt that person like that sucks ass but it's fine like that's normal and fine but like you know if you mischaracterize yourself in order to gain access to somebody sexually that's like unchill that's not highly fine. unchill that's highly unchill <laughs> Over the last couple of years, it's been really, uh, even though you and I do this show <laughs> in, in the confines of our, of our closets, our respective closets, it's been really, really, really cool, one, to go out on the road and meet the CYG community, but also to see all of the good that CYG does together. We raised many, many dollars for Zana Africa. We had the bleeding for Amina Blood Drive. Hey! We- <laughs> I know we had, um, God, what was that? You know, like we've had various really cool tabling partners at our live shows. One of my favorites were, um, you know, were the women in DC who collected all of those, uh, the menstrual stuff. I just love that anytime that we get together, there's always an opportunity to do something good and someone in the community always steps up. It's true. Love our listener community. Everyone is the best. And woo, five years. Congratulations. Looks like we made it. <laughs> Look how far we've come, my baby. I mean, <laughs> um, thank you, Shania. Yeah. And special shout out to Gina also, who is oh. definitely, definitely, definitely a very, very real reason that this happens every week. So Our forever fave, the glue, the glue of CYG. The glue that holds the family together. All right. I'll see you on the internet, boo-boo. I'll see you on the internet, boo-boo. All right. You can find us many places on the internet, on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com, iTunes, where it would be awesome if you left us a review. You can also tweet at us at callyrgf or email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. And you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delbach. Gina! Gina! (laughs) (laughs) See you on the internet, boo. See you on the internet.